Tonight, if you turn to chapter 15 here in the book of Revelation, we're making our way towards the end. We're passing the three-quarter mark now and heading towards the climax of the book of Revelation. And when we use that word, we always mean the prescribed end. In other words, there's something in view. When we say the climax of something, it is that time which is expected. And tonight, as we get to chapter 15, this very short chapter, just eight verses in it, um, we have something that mankind doesn't want to hear about. Matter of fact, the vast majority of mankind doesn't believe. There are people who even would go so far as to say it can't happen because God's a God of love. And yet repeatedly, frequently, and often throughout Scripture, the Lord has reminded us that while he is patient and kind and loving and gentle and not willing that any should perish, that sin has a life expectancy in our world. And that life expectancy is winding down. The end result, the climax of that, is God's going to deal with it. And so now as we come uh, to these final sets of judgments, the bold judgments, we get, in essence, a preview of those, and we'll pick up the rest of it when we get to chapter 16 next week, and we'll actually see the the literal battle of Armageddon uh, in that chapter. But tonight, the final judgments that God will pour out, we begin to see uh, the hoofbeats of the horses, the, the warriors in heaven are, are lined up, and the Lord is absolutely uh, going to do what he said he would do. And when you look at the world today, I, I ask you a simple question, and it is a simple question. Is the world not in total rebellion to everything that God represents, everything that God is? Everything that God wants, all that God desires. I was listening to, I was watching some TV clips today and just what's going on in our own country with regard to the election. I'm like, God, this can't be happening. How, how have we reached a place in the course of human history where it's not the lesser of two evils, it's the lesser of multiple evils? It's gotten to the place to where when you think about what's going on, it's like, does anybody have God in view in anything that they're thinking about? Or has he become a byword? Is he someone that no longer matters? Well, God still matters. And he is still king. And he one day will do exactly what he said he would do. And so to that end, we'll look at chapter 15 tonight. And would you pray with me as we commit this time to the Lord. Father, we are again simply desiring for you to speak to us. Lord, these passages that we're now facing are difficult to understand. Not because they're hard in and of themselves. They're clear. But, Lord, it's hard for us to fathom the pent-up wrath that you have stored for this day. Lord, that you are furious over what happens to children every day. That you are absolutely incensed at the loss of innocent life. Lord, that you hate all war. Lord, that you can't stand crime. You hate prostitution. Lord, not the people. You hate the sin. God, you've always hated sin because sin destroys. And yet mankind bathes itself in it even tonight. Lord, you hate pornography because what it does to the minds of people around the world. Lord, you are one day going to solve all these issues because man is not. Man is allowing more and more of these things to be the normal things that happen every day. And so, Lord, we believe that one day you'll put an end to it. And so speak to us tonight. 
instruct us, even encourage us, God, as we study these things. There is no need for anyone to fear them because today is the day of salvation and you will receive those who believe. So bless us as we study your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Revelation 15, Then I saw another sign in heaven. And it's important that you not become confused. He says great and marvelous. He's not talking great and marvelous in the sense, oh, this is really nice. It's great and marvelous as in this is unbelievably fearful. You know, growing up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, when we were still testing nuclear weapons out in the Nevada desert, there was something great and marvelous about a nuclear explosion. There's no doubt about it. You couldn't help but be in awe of it. You just didn't want to be in the middle of it. Amen? It's one of those things. It's like, wow, all that explosive power contained within the atomic structure of a handful of atoms smashed together. You you see, when we think about great and marvelous, there are all kinds of things that are great and they would cause us to marvel that are not good, that are going to be very, very, very painful. And there is a great and marvelous sign in heaven. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. And so we know we're not talking about kind kitty stuff. This is no child's story. This isn't uh, an Aesop's fable. This isn't a nursery rhyme. This is the pent-up, stored-up wrath of God that He has been maintaining For all of these millennia, while mankind has done its own thing, while the world has waxed worse and worse, while war has followed war and conquest has followed conquest, while innocent has died after innocent, while man has taken advantage of one another for millennia, God hasn't missed a single thing. Not one injustice has he ever not noticed. Not one molested child has escaped his gaze. Not one abused person used in the pornography industry has ever gotten past God. The Hugh Hefners of the world haven't fooled God. The people who sell drugs by the ton have not escaped the almighty gaze of the sovereign king of the universe. The hateful, shameful things that have happened in the name of government have not been missed by the Lord. No group taking advantage of another group and taking their lives. No genocidal, no homicidal maniac that's ever existed has taken the Lord by surprise. He's seen every bit of it to the most minute of detail. And he has simply stored up his anger against all that sin. Now add to it what we just celebrated on Good Friday. Can you imagine the wrath added to those bowls as the sins of all of mankind were heaped upon the sinless Lamb of God? You don't think that made God a little bit upset? Because there were people there that were wagging their finger at Jesus. God didn't miss that. There were people who mocked him and spit on God did not miss that. And if they passed from life unto death without repenting of those sins, those sins stand tonight. And God has been waiting to deal with them. Collecting them. Waiting for the opportune moment. To say, enough. No more. 
seven angels having the last seven plagues, for in them the wrath of God is teleo, complete. Do you remember what Jesus cried out from the cross? Tetelestai. This is the root of that word, teleo. It means to bring to an accomplishment or finish an end. The wrath. All of the anger of God against sin and consequently those who have perpetrated it. Remember, God hates the sin, loves sinners. But in order to deal with sin, he will also have to deal with the sinners. Your Bible says one day God's going to say, I've had enough. It is teleo, complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have victory over the beast and his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. And so you can see that God is looking at those who passed through the fire of the tribulation who didn't receive that mark, who didn't take and honor the number of his name, who who would not bow the knee to the beast. You see, we get to do that in grace right now, and it costs us very little. But one day it's not going to be so easy. It seems as though it's getting harder every day now, doesn't it? To stand for Christ... You can stand for virtually anything in our world. If we were to have such a mind, we could start a club that thought up the most vile slogans that one could ever think of. And we would probably be heralded as people with open minds. We'd probably get our own reality TV show. The most vile things in Los Angeles. The South Bay Creep Club. We, and I don't know what we'd call it. But we'd probably get praised. Certainly by much of the media. If a man like Howard Stern can have his own television show and radio show and get away with the things that he says. And make millions, tens of millions, hundreds of of millions of dollars being a filthy pig. I'll just call him what he is. Probably get sued for saying that. Oh well. You can't get blood out of a turnip. (laughs) But think about it. But God knows the difference between those who honor him and those who don't. And those who have taken advantage of this world and the people in it and those who haven't. And those who've named his name and those who don't. Standing on that sea of glass, having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses. Do you remember the song of Moses? Back in the book of Exodus. As the people came out of the bondage of of Egypt and as they're they're just glad in their hearts and they're praising the Lord you have delivered us and they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are your works Lord God almighty just and true are your ways O king of the saints Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And then after these things I looked. There's a little break. After these things, after the exposure of these bowls and and the intent of God to release his wrath, and it will be complete, it will be done, it will be over. When God completed the wrath on his son, it was over. Amen? And he yielded up his spirit and said, I'm coming home, Father. It is finished. The same will be true 
when God pours out his wrath on this earth. There's a purpose to it. And its end is actually good. Because it will bring about the kingdom age. That millennial reign of Christ, when Christ will come again and reign on this earth in righteousness. But it's going to be very costly. Just like the cross was costly. And after these things I look and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Remember the temple currently is in heaven. Because that's where Jesus is. That's where God's presence dwells. And out of the temple came seven angels having seven plagues. Clothed in pure bright linen. Bright linen is always a sign of the holiness of God. You see, the longer you hang around with God, the brighter you get. Amen? As you spend time with the Lord, you become more like the Lord. It's a principle. We call it sanctification. I like to use a a little bit of slang there. Sanctification. Being made more like a saint. A holy one. The Hagios, ones who've been so near Jesus that you start shining, we start shining, the church shines. Can you imagine if the church actually today in our world spent more time around Jesus, how brightly we would shine? That's what we're supposed to do, by the way. Isn't that what the Lord wants out of his church? Shine into this world and so let your light shine before men. That they might see your good works. They might see God in you, your hope of glory. And they would glorify our Father who is in heaven. You see, the angels already do that. They've been hanging out with Jesus. Our job is to really hang out with Jesus. Amen? We're actually going to be looking at this the next couple of weeks on Sundays. Because we want to run to win. We've got to hang out with Jesus. We need to get next to Jesus. We need to get close to Jesus. If you had been alive during the time that Christ is on earth, knowing what you now know, wouldn't you have wanted to be right next to him? Would you not have been wanted the one like John who put his head on the breast of Jesus and snuggled in and said, Teach me? Wouldn't you want to have gotten that close? I would have. I'd have got all touchy-feely up in there. I'm just like, come on, like, tell me. Probably say, stop already with the touching thing. (laughs) Personal space, you know. Isn't Isn't that what we should be doing, trying to get so close to Jesus? He says, look, I, I, need to, I need to breathe a little bit. But the angels are clothed in that pure light of the Lord, having their chests girded with golden bands. In other words, their hearts are protected by the holiness of God. Remember the golden band of the high priest says, holiness unto the Lord. That's what's on it. And in this case, it's transferred to the chest. It's over the heart. It's gold. It's the pure, unadulterated holiness of God. And yet, they're pulling out these plagues. So the plagues themselves must also be holy. You see, God can't come in contact with anything that isn't. He can't even be in the presence of evil. He could because he's God, but he doesn't because he's God. So these plagues are from the throne of God. That's how much God hates evil. You see, people take the fact that God is allowing all these things to go on in our world Ten-year-old boys are raped to death by men. And he stores that up. 
that young ladies pass out at a party and the whole group of men assault them. God remembers that. The Holocaust did not escape the gaze of God. He remembered every last one of those over six million of his chosen people. Knows them by name. Could take you back to where they lived. You see, that wrath will be holy because God is holy. And then one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls. And notice what they're full of. Seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. And when you hear that, it's like, really? Yes, really. The gold being the holiness of God and his wrath is in it. Because it's righteous, fully righteous anger. You see, we talk about righteous anger as people, don't we? I've had people, well, you know, I just have righteous indignation. Now, maybe you do. But here's the problem. You're not righteous in and of yourself. The only righteousness that you have as a believer comes from Christ. Amen? It's his righteousness that you've been cloaked in. But as far as you go, you're still dirt. Your heart's still evil, still capable of sinning. So you can't actually judge righteously. Only God can do that. And so these bowls of his wrath are going to be perfect bowls of wrath. There won't be a mistake in there. There won't be somebody sent to prison and the evidence was incorrectly handled, so to speak. There'll be no false accusations in there. There won't be any overpayment for the sins done. It will be absolutely perfect. And it's important that you grasp this concept. Because if you get this part, then what he does with it absolutely makes sense. You can get it then. Because God is perfect in all that he does. And he is loving in all that he does, even in the dispersal of his wrath. So perfect is he that when he pours out his wrath on this earth, that he will be able to say in that wrath that he loved them to the uttermost. So bad was mankind that it was actually love that precipitated that pouring out of the wrath. That's why Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. What did God say at the time of Noah? The hearts of men were continually, meaning always, evil. So the world will turn the corner and be in a place where there will be no righteousness left. Those people who get saved are going to come out one at a time, two at a time, ten at a time, 144,000, they're going to be saved. Those who want to change will be able to, but when it gets down to the last one, one and done. The wrath of God who lives forever and ever in the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. You know, normally we see the light of God, but now we see the smoking anger of God. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. It's a rough passage. But it's a powerful passage for us tonight. Because there's still time. Hasn't happened yet. That's why I feel sorry for people that 
think that this can be just spiritualized and well you know there's always been wars and there's always been plagues and there's always been these things going on in our world which is by itself true but not to the extent that God's talking about here and there's never been anything global there's been things that have been regional we've had world wars but even in world wars it wasn't the whole world that was at war it wasn't even remotely close There's never been a single war where even a a billion people were involved in it, much less two-thirds of the population of the entire world. And so this chapter begins the answer to evil. Remember back in chapter 6, remember the question of the martyred saints, how long, O Lord? How long, God, until you take care of what's been done? That's the question. That's been the question of all the people who've been martyred for their faith in a general sense. Lord, I'm going to stand for you. Christians are dying every single day, still to this day around the world, for nothing more than proclaiming their faith. I was shocked. I, I, I got up. Uh, early on Easter morning, and I'm reading through, the, which I usually do, just to see if there's anything I need to address from the pulpit. You know, things happen so fast now. Sometimes things need to be said almost instantaneously. And so I will usually look at the news headlines just to make sure there isn't something going on that we need to stop and pray for. Uh, as I'm looking, how does a suicide bomber walk into a park filled with Christian women and children in Pakistan and blow themselves up and say that it was for God. And yet that's what happened. Targeting specifically Christian women and their children celebrating Easter. That's a messed up world. And all those little angel babies are in heaven right now. Can't even imagine. And God's not happy about it. So the question becomes, what's going to happen? When we get to chapter 20, we're going to see some things that kind of boggle our mind that one of the ways of death for those who are martyred during the tribulation will be beheading. And I don't want to belabor this point, but it does strike me as somewhat uh, more than consequential that the preferred method of, of death for these Islamic cultists is beheading. Now, we can't seem to name the problem anymore. And while there surely are tens hundreds of millions of Muslims around the world that are just as abhorred by this activity as any Christian would ever be. Even if it's a small percentage of those who hold those kind of views. Say 10, 5, 10%. 10% would mean that there's 160 million possibly people who say that they are Muslims that would hold that apocalyptic view that it's necessary to blow up children. That's crazy. Yes, it leaves more than a billion who don't. It would be like half the population of the United States all of a sudden becoming terrorists. Who knows? But I know this. The world's not getting better. How does a bomber go into an airport strapped with TATP and nails and ball bearings and instantaneously take 33 lives and wound another couple hundred in the name of Allah? I don't get it. 
Don't understand it. But the world's a very scary place. We know the end. Amen? And for us, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? But the question is, how long, O Lord, holy and true, you who judge and avenge our blood to those who dwell on the earth? Paul would write the same thing to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12. Very exact same thing. And Jesus speaking on these, these issues of, of judgment and hell. Nobody spoke more about hell and judgment than Jesus did. And yet people ignore that fact. Romans twelve nineteen says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will actually do that one day. You may not like to think about it, but that's the reason you need to be busy about your father's business. That's the reason we need to be preaching Christ crucified for the remission of sin. That's the reason the gospel is the answer. Because you can either answer for your own sin, or you can have Jesus answer for it for you. Amen? So if you're a believer, when your sins come up before God, Jesus goes, got it. When your life is exposed, when your deeds are judged, Jesus says, paid for all that, Dad. It's good. She's good. Enter in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom of rest. You see, you can either wait and try and pay for your own sin, or you can accept the payment that was made for you by Jesus. That's the story of the cross. That's why Easter is so powerful. Because Christ took that for us. He took the wrath of God. Him who knew no sin became sin for us. Isn't that crazy? That Jesus literally became sin so that God could punish Jesus with the wrath that should be poured out on you, on me. He made him sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, these tribulation saints have been martyred. They're they're basically waiting for God to intervene. They're in heaven going, how long, O Lord? They're standing on that sea of of glass. People refuse to believe that God is ever going to do this. So I was studying through it, and I, I, I just am I'm stunned. There's a lot of books out there, and there's jillions of them. I just grabbed a handful. Back in 1973, a book was written. It spent 40 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, including five weeks as the number one bestseller in the entire world. Called Embraced by the Light by Betty Eady. November of 1973, she died after undergoing a hysterectomy and returned from the dead five hours later. Medically believed to be dead five hours later. And she came back and she began to expound about her journey to heaven. The only problem is I don't think that's where she went. And here's why. She tells the story in one of the chapters. I never, Jesus spoke to me and he said he never wanted to say or do anything that would offend me. <laughs> Jesus offends everyone. The gospel is an offense. Because it calls into question our old life, our old man. Jesus was the offender in chief. He, told, he didn't say to the woman caught in adultery, well, you know, you've had a rough life. Times are hard, do what you need to. No, he said, go and sin no more. 
Rosemary Radford Ruther is a professor of theology at Garrett Evangelical Seminary. Her new style of Christianity follows this line. This is from her book. The Mother Goddess is Reawakening. This is an evangelical Christian seminary. And we have a whole bunch of them here in Southern California that are teaching much the same thing. Islamo-Buddhism, Christianity, whatever. Just mold it all together, smash it, squish it. It's like homogenized milk. You stir it up long enough, everything that's in it's milk. The mother goddess is reawakening. And we can begin to recover our primal birthright. The sheer intoxicating joy of being alive. And we can open our eyes and see that there's nothing to be saved from. No God outside the world to be feared or obeyed. That is from a woman who is a professor of theology at an evangelical seminary. That's not from Bozo the Clown standing outside of McDonald's. (laughs) And when you get to the New Age movement, which many people confuse with biblical Christianity, unfortunately, because they believe that all roads lead to heaven and all God's the same God. As long as you believe something, I can't even tell you how many times I have had people look me in the face and say, well, I just believe. And I ask them in what? And they say, well, it doesn't matter. You just have to have faith, brother. I got faith in the doorknob. Doesn't make it God. Said this in his book. The institutional Christian churches tell us that Jesus was the only son of God. And that he incarnated as a human in order to die on the cross in a substitutionary act as penalty for our sins and thereby save the world. Amen. That's pretty much the message of the gospel. So he's got that part right. Now bear in mind, these are the things that these people say. And this is where the world is going. But it's a sad caricature. A pale reflection of the true story. Jesus did not save people. He freed them. From the bondage of ego, the significance of the incarnation and the resurrection is not that Jesus was human like us, but rather we are gods like him. You you see, the world doesn't like the fact that there is an angry God in heaven who's mad at all sin. Oh, they love the sweet, fluffy God. I like the sweet, fluffy God, too, and I'm glad that I know the sweet, fluffy God because that God's the one that saved me. Amen? Hallelujah. But there's also a God who's really, really, really upset about what's been going on on this earth. And one day, he's going to take care of what's been going on. Probably many of you can remember back to your childhood, and probably if you were, you know, if you grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, back when there were still rules in the home, Just saying. I know that's not true. I don't want to bash anybody, but just to make a point. When your parents gave you the rules, they were the rules. And if you went to school and you disobeyed the teacher, your dad came down, pulled the paddle off the wall and said, I'll beat him for you. I'm not saying you should beat your children either. But there was real penalty to your infractions. Something was going to happen if you disobeyed the house rules. Can I tell you the Bible is full of house rules? It's absolutely filled with house rules of how you're supposed to act in God's house, which, by the way, is the whole universe. How are you supposed to conduct yourself as a child of God? And people, I don't like that. I'm going to keep doing whatever I want. So here's the deal. See, in our house, you couldn't, my brother couldn't stand in for me. I got my own whooping, okay? But in God's house, Jesus can stand in for you. And he can take your whooping. And did if you've believed on his name. And you've allowed him to be the propitiation for your sin. The ransom was paid by him for what you've done. And so you're good to go. 
all squared away. But there's a whole bunch of disobedient, rebellious kids that are still walking around God's house. And they're all going, he's not going to catch me. They're looking at him. They may even kind of sort of believe he is. But they're going, I don't really want to do that. And God's going, well, I'm not going to make you. But where you're heading, you don't want to go. That's God's wrath being stored up. God is holy. God is just. And God's ultimately going to take care of all these things that he said he would do. And so he lays out here another sign. He says, look, it's complete. This teleo which comes. The end is marked. The determined goal has been reached. You see, all that we've seen in the seals and the trumpets, those are just the warm-ups. That's to get mankind's attention. Do you remember what happened with Pharaoh? When the whole plague thing started out, Pharaoh's going, I don't believe God. It's got some flies going on, right? Then it's like, I don't believe God. Then it's like, man, this water tastes funky. I don't believe God. Then kind of like, honey, could you get the uh, hail and brimstone umbrella? I don't believe God. About the time he lost his own children, maybe you think he was thinking that he might have to believe in God? You see, that's the way God works. He doesn't come out of the box with the fire and brimstone and the death of the firstborn. He sends the flies and then the frogs. And before you know it, you're looking at kind of something that you really don't want to have happen. That's what God's been doing in the age of grace. He started off with flies. And then he sent some gnarly frogs. And we're about the river turning to blood heading towards the death of the firstborn. That's what's going on. And see, some people are still doing what Pharaoh did. I will not let my people, your people go, right? Know what he did? Gets his own magicians out, grabs a few sticks, throws them on the ground, turns them into snakes. See, I can do that too. The world says I can make my own God. The world says tonight, I am my own God. Well, they're going to figure out they're not their own God one day. And unfortunately, it'll be too late when they get that figured out. Unless they turn now. You don't get to do it after you're gone. That's the tragedy. Some people say, well, I'll just wait until I can't sin anymore very well. (laughs) Not going to do you any good, the great white throne judgment. They go, well, I meant well. It's going to be over. The time will be passed. So God's wrath is teleo. The judgment time has come. You can either have Jesus pay for your sin by grace at the cross, or you can try and pay for it yourself at the great white throne. That's the choice. You're going to come up short at the great white throne. And he's going to say, depart, for I have never known you. And so in heaven, the sea of glass unfolds. John speaking of the tribulation saints, standing on the word of God. We saw that back in chapter 4. The only thing that's different here is it's mingled with fire. You see, I I believe what the Lord is really trying to say is the word of God is still going to be standing. And we're going to be standing on the word of God. And that word of God is still going to be the rock that it's always going to have been. But... The difference is, is these guys are going to get there by fire. Tried by fire. They're going to have a rough time. That's why when people say, well, you know, if you're right about the whole tribulation thing, you know, I'll just kind of get in there and then I'll give my life to the Lord. You don't know that. If you won't do it now while grace is free, how will you do it when it really costs you something? You really think that you're going to give your life to Christ when it's going to cost you your life, literally? 
when you won't be able to provide for your family? Do you honestly think that if you don't come to Christ now, while grace is this marvelous, wonderful gift that's given to us freely by God, and he says, here's the only thing, I want you to repent of your sin. I want you to allow me to run your life. I want you to flee the old person. I want you to become the new man, the new woman. And I'll do that work in you freely. You see, when it's free, people still don't take God up on it. Imagine when it's going to cost you the ability to feed your family. Imagine that you make it to that time when you're going to be forced to choose literally life or death. Here in America, if it, if it costs us five minutes longer in the line at In-N-Out, we don't pay it. You know what I mean? We are about as unable to take sacrifice as any people have ever been in the course of human history. Sacrifice, what's that? And so these guys begin to warm up for the martyr's song. You see, they they persevere during that difficult time, and now they have harps, and they begin to sing. It's an interesting corollary between the, the, the bronze laver that was in the courtyard of the temple And one of the things that would happen, you would enter through a gate that was multicolored. It showed all of the tribes and tongues and nations. And so when you entered the courtyard compound, you had the the court of the high priest where the sacrifices happened. And in that, there was a bronze altar. And then there was a laver. It was basically a bowl. That was actually called the Sea of Brass. Because it was there that your sins were washed away. They would sacrifice, the blood would be on their hands, and the high priest would dip his hands, and he would raise his hands to heaven. And we pronounced that everything was clean. And now we have, for us, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that grace that now comes to us, because God has spoken into our lives through his word, He said, look, I, I, I'm standing, I'm at the door, I'm knocking. Let me come in, I'll sup with you. I want to be your Savior, I want to be your Lord. That happens the same way by standing on the Word. And so that bronze labor was even a picture of what would ultimately happen and will ultimately happen in heaven. Family, we're saved by grace, amen? No other way. There is no other name. You know, it's interesting that when Jesus, you remember when the disciples were getting all excited about the whole bathing thing? And the disciples were all, well, you know, don't just wash my feet, wash my head. My, you know, Jesus told them, look, you only need to wash your feet, you'll be completely clean. I've already taken care of all the rest of the stuff. You just need the symbolic washing. You don't need the full, you know, go into the car wash. I saw this video of this guy. You talk about dumb as a brick. He's in the back of a pickup truck going through one of those drive-through car washes, and he's trying to stand up while the the brushes it like it gave him the worst sunburn you have ever seen. He came out the other side like stripped the. You know, sometimes people think of works that way. It's like, well, you know, I really need to be scrubbed. No, you really need Jesus. You don't need to be scrubbed, you need to be washed. And if he's washed you, you're good to go. You're white as wool as far as God's concerned. Because see, all the physical scrubbing, all the works, by the works of the flesh is no one justified. Remember that verse? We're freely justified by the blood of the Lamb shed for us, not because we did something to earn it. And so they begin to sing this wonderful song of Moses. And I want you to see how this, this works through. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the saints. And so they begin to praise him. And so praise is the focus of that song. And if you read the actual original song, it's found there in, in Exodus chapter 15. 
But you're going to see four components to it. It begins with the praise of the works of God. He's all-powerful. Amen? It then transitions to the, to the plans of God or the ways of God. He's righteous and he's just. He doesn't mess up. Anybody else ever had lame plans? Man, I've had lame plans. It's like I, it's like I thought it was okay. I spent even a lot of time, effort, treasure, and you know, investing in a nice set of plans, and all of a sudden, well, that didn't work. God doesn't have any lame plans. They're praiseworthy plans. Whatever He does is just and true and perfect. And so those in heaven are saying He's just and true and perfect. And then He praises perfection. Why? Because He's holy. He's not just mentally accurate. You see, we can think of justice in the sense of mentally accurate. In other words, he doesn't miss any details. He's got them all lined up correctly on a spreadsheet somewhere. But he's holy. His character, his internal nature is such that he's worthy of praise because of who he is alone. Not what he does. Not what he can do. Not the power that he has. Just simply who he is. He's praiseworthy. He's perfect. And then we praise him for his purposes. You realize that the whole reason you were created was to praise God? Did you know that? To worship God. That's actually the reason that God created us. We were created to worship God. When we finally get there, we're going to do it right. Amen? We try pretty hard here, by the way. We want to do that well. But in the song, they're just praising God because it's what they were created for. You finally hit that sweet spot. You know, we talk about the sweet spot in life. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book, actually, with that as the title. It's a great book. But the sweet spot in life is that place where all that you are in Christ lines up perfectly with what you are in this world. In other words, you, 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 you get those gifts in operation, the skills and talents, the things that God's done in you, and all of a sudden it just all lines up. You know, it's kind of like that perfect alignment of the stars, so to speak. It's the sweet spot. When you get to heaven, sweet spot. Amen? You praise the Lord. People think about it, you know, from the, you know, the angelic photos and, you know, the pictures that people have drawn, you know, these little kind of chubby children with stubby wings and stuff. It is not going to be like that. You're not going to be morbidly obese in heaven. You know, chubby babies. Whatever you are here that you failed at, you're going to be perfect at there. Whatever you thought you missed out, you're going to get there. Whatever you kind of weren't gifted at here, you're going to be perfect in there. It's going to be awesome. I'm going fishing for the first 200,000 years. <laughs> hey, Jesus, did you catch anything? Yeah, I got a, a whale. <laughs> On two-pound test, yeah, I got, I'm bringing it in right now. You know. I don't know what it's going to be. I just know we're going to be praising Jesus when we get there. Amen? Just praise Him. The 66th Psalm says, All the earth shall praise you and worship you and sing of you. The praises do your name. When we get there, the temple, the tabernacle, the testimony, all of it. You, you see the tabernacle here on earth, and this is so important to see. It's just a little simple thing. But it stood as a witness to man. In other words, you could look and you could go, Man, God dwells there. But it was also a witness against man. I'm not good enough to go in. So it showed you the way and what you needed to be, and then it also told you with the curtain, the veil, stay out. Aren't you glad the veil's torn? Amen? Because you can go in now. You can go in and talk to God freely. When this finally happens, that veil will be torn. You'll be able to look in that bright light, and God will simply say, look, the time is here. The hour is upon us. 
that witness that was against man. We couldn't approach God. Ultimately, we'll have that wonderful, holy fragrance of the Lord that will just fill the temple. That was what the prayers of the saints really were as they, as they reached God's nostrils, so to speak, in an anthropomorphic way. In other words, if God could smell, he'd smell the prayers of the saints. One day you're going to be able to sense the holiness of God, the fragrance of God. You ever walk through a, uh, an English rose garden? Ever spent time in a flower field and just overwhelmed by the fragrance? And one day you're going to be overwhelmed by the fragrance of Christ, the holiness of God. So as Paul said there in Second Corinthians chapter 2, and he ends this by reminding us that his anger is hot, <laughs> smoking hot to be exact. And you actually can see the smoking of, of God's anger inside of the temple, his power, ready to be unleashed. God wants the glory. Remember what Isaiah saw? He saw the train of the robe of God that, that reached, it flowed from the temple to the earth and his feet sat there. That's what God wants us to see. But mankind for a moment, just like Jesus saw God's wrath on the cross, mankind for a moment, because it's what they ask for. Jesus asked for, Father, if there be any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be so. So Jesus actually asked that question, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What was God's will? It pleased God to bruise him. That was God's will. It was God's will to pour out his wrath on Jesus to cover my sin. And it will be one day God's will to pour out his wrath on this earth to deal with sin permanently. To take care of the actual issue. The root cause. The sin nature of mankind. And when he does that, the thing that will follow will be a thousand years. A reign of righteousness. Wherein... Jesus sits on the throne of David and rules from Jerusalem. I'll leave you with a couple of thoughts. You see in this short chapter that we've seen tonight, you could kind of go back to the poet Friedrich von Longau, and he said, The mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow would pick up on that, and he quoted it this way, The mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness he grinds all. You see, you can either be ground by the cornerstone and have the junk crushed out of you now and be in him, or you can wait for the wheels of God to grind very slowly but very precisely. And so I just simply leave you with, why would you want to do that? Why would anyone want to wait? Why not receive the grace of God? As the worship team comes back up, as we close in song and the pastors come forward, Uh, If you've managed to escape his grace these last few weeks as we've continued to just preach the message of the cross and salvation that comes freely by grace and through faith, we offer it again tonight because there really is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. It is indeed at the name of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you do that before you leave this earth, then you can sing the song of Moses with the saints in heaven. And I would strongly encourage that while there is yet time, that you receive that grace. For us who are saved, for we who know the Lord, there's no time like the present for us to be bold with our faith. If we believe that God's word is true, we know what's coming. And although it is true that These things will unfold after the tribulation has begun and most of the seven years have transpired and we will not be here to see that. 
we don't know when that trumpet's going to sound and we who are alive and remain are called home to be with Jesus. It might be tonight. So please tell your friends. Please tell your coworkers and your family that Jesus loves them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the price that was paid on Calvary's cross. Lord, as you journeyed up that hill to Golgotha, or as you allowed those iron nails to pierce your sinless hands, as your feet nailed to that stirrup on that cross, Lord Jesus, you took my sins, our sins upon you. And we pray tonight that if there's anyone here that's never believed, they've never received, they've never come to the table of grace, God, that you would convict them of the necessity to do so before the hour is too late, before your wrath comes. So, Father, we thank you for the message of the cross that it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And we who believe say thank you. We love you, we bless you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the wonderful name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, Messiah. Amen.